This program deals with themes of an adult nature and is intended for a mature audience. The very word secrecy is repugnant in a free and open society. And we are, as a people, inherently and historically opposed to secret societies, to secret oaths, and to secret proceedings. Our differences worldwide would vanish if we were facing an alien threat from outside this world. We must guard against the military-industrial complex. Exopolitics, paranormal phenomena, and deep analysis of current world events. From somewhere in the desert, between Area 51 and Roswell, blasting across the planet, the Manticore Network proudly presents Fairy Tales. Because the truth will set you free. Headline edition, July 8, 1947. The Army Air Forces has announced that a flying disc has been found and is now in the possession of the Army. I'm as bad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! The power they took from the people will return to the people. And so long as men die, liberty will never perish. Soldiers, don't fight for slavery, fight for liberty! The only thing we have to fear is fear itself! Sooner or later, though. You always have to wake up. Be skeptical, but don't close your mind. Greetings to everyone around the world, and a warm welcome to another edition of Veritas, where we uncover the truth, one guest at a time. For those who dare to seek, Veritas is the place where they shall find. I'm your host, Mel Fabregas, and I sincerely thank you for joining me once again. And if this is your first time, make yourself at home. I want to thank all our members. As always, you are keeping Veritas alive. Tonight's special guest returns, first from a 10-year self-imposed public retreat, and now, after one year, one more time, this is another exclusive interview with the author of the Terra Papers, Robert Morningsky. There is so much that Robert has learned while traveling the world. Is the answer to our questions with the media, or the powers that be? We all know that's not the case. The answers lie the ancient ones, or shall we say, with the hidden archaeology. Robert Morningsky will be with us shortly. And stay tuned, Cliff High will be with us in the next few days for his last appearance of the year. We are very privileged that he has chosen Veritas once again. 
If you have listened to Cliff's fairy tales interviews in the past, you know that with this confluence of important world events taking place, Cliff's interview is very, very important. Visit our website periodically and halfpasshuman.com for more information. But indeed, this interview is imminent. To listen to the complete version of this and all our past and future shows, become a member. You'll receive immediate access to all our inventory of shows, that's 83 to date, and a few bonus interviews, the Magical Forum, and the Veritas Chatroom. Just head on over to our website, veritasshow.com, click on subscribe, and take Veritas with you. Remember, this is the only way we can continue broadcasting. There are no interruptions, no distractions, and no censorship. We just go directly to the point. And remember, the metal-cased 8GB USB drive containing all of Season 1 in CD audio quality and a few bonuses is now for sale. For more information, visit the Veritas store. And now, you are about to share something special one more time. Sit back and close your eyes. Now picture yourself on the desert floor, surrounded by a mosaic of ruby red and burnt orange mesas. And above you, the vast expanse of the Milky Way, the twinkling dancing stars, and soft glow of a beautiful shining moon. Listen to the history of a people, and to the cosmic questions and debates that men and women have shared since the first fire was sparked and the first human stood upright and asked why and who she was. Answers about 2012 and beyond. Rupert Morningsky is coming up next. This is Mel Fabregas, and you're listening to Veritas. and you're listening to The Veritas Show. Robert Morningsky travels almost constantly, mesmerizing audiences, large and small, around the world. He demonstrates traditional Native American dances, then tells his story in living rooms, theaters, in school auditoriums, on radio and TV shows, and in personal interviews, anywhere people will listen to him. He has quickly become a favorite speaker at expos and UFO conventions. His words resonate with truth. People receive answers to far more questions than they could ever think to ask, and they come back to hear him again and again. Robert has been subjected to several burglaries at his office, with confidential files and computer equipment stolen. His travel trailer was vandalized. His life has been threatened. He has suffered great losses but he made a promise to his grandfather, and that promise will not be broken, no matter the cost. Robert Morningsky says, the future of our world is in the hands of our young seekers. In the hopes that I can help today's young seekers join hands with the ancient ones, 
I share my journeys with you. The truth is hidden behind the reality used to control the masses. Long, long ago, the ancient ones pointed at the year 2012 as a time that changes would occur. An elder who has remained in the shadows has stepped forward to help unlock the secrets to the words of the ancient ones. So too, he has helped to reveal the secrets of making contact with star beings and the deliberately hidden history of our world. The changes that must be made in order to avert catastrophes in the year 2012 and afterwards will not be made by mankind. They will be made by womankind. And from one desert to another, I am proud and honored to have our friend back to Veritas, Robert Morning Sky. Hello, Robert. Welcome back. How are you? I'm good, sir. Thank you. Very kind words, and I do appreciate uh, being able to be back with you and to be able to speak on some things. So thank you very much. Thank you. We are very excited to have you back, Robert. You mentioned that uh, you have spent hours analyzing and studying the coming critical 2012 time period. But in the past year, something happened. You retreated from the public guy again. And a lot of our listeners want to know what happened. Well, I appreciate uh, the conversations. Actually, we've had a couple of conversations in private. And it's last September... I was posting some new material to uh, my website, and suddenly everything went black. It was gone. Um, Let me see how I can explain this best. My, My entire journey began, I mean, years and years ago when I was a child, and I'd heard a story from my grandfather about a star being that he had contact with, that he and his friends had encountered and uh, interacted with. And I have to to point out that connection with star beings is not unusual for Native peoples across the globe. We have in Arizona, for example, the Hopi Kachinas, the Navajo Yeibiche, the Apache Gons, and these are all star beings who have interacted with and are part of our existence. In fact, when I was a child, I was on the reservation, and I actually had a sandwich. I sat down with, of course, now I can say there was a gentleman who was impersonating Nuvak, who is the uh, snow kachini, he's the spirit of snow. And I actually interacted with, I had a sandwich with, I talked with, and so... In the native world, we we generally have individuals, um, very special individuals, who will impersonate a star being. And so, again, in general, for native people, star beings are part of our day-to-day existence. We grow up with them. We talk with them. In some cases, you can interact with them. We see them in our dances. And so... For me to hear a story about a star being that my grandfather and his friends uh, interacted with, that that is that was not unusual. It wasn't anything that, oh, goodness, you know, look, look at here, he had interaction. That's, that was part of our existence. So I never had any problem with the story that he told or anything that the, any of the other elders had spoken about. It wasn't until I got to college, to university, where I think, anyone who's gone to university, you begin to question where you came from, your belief systems. You're exposed to so many different things, so many different people with their own backgrounds and their own beliefs. And you begin to wonder. And I think 
probably most of the listeners who uh, tune into you and, and even you, you know, at some point you wonder, okay, what is going on? What's real? Did I really learn the right way? Is is my religion, my belief system correct? Is it accurate? How does that fit in with someone who was born and, and raised in Australia or in the Middle East or you know, up in the north in, the, in Alaska? And so in college, I began to look into the story and say, okay, is it possible my grandfather was wrong? Is it possible that it that he was right and maybe I can find evidence elsewhere? And so I, I really immersed myself in, in the library and began to study everything I could about ancient religions. I found I had to study ancient languages. I then found that for every religion I studied, there was an older one. And so ultimately, and you'll excuse the, the terminology, but ultimately in the civilized world, Star beings, contact with star beings at the time that I started studying was made by people who saw UFOs, flying saucers, aliens, uh, little greys, and they're in their aluminum, aluminum bright, shiny uh, spacesuits. That was the medium. That was the way people described contact with star beings. I have to say what was... One of the things that was very unusual for me was civilized people, for lack of a better term, don't interact with star beings, divine beings, spiritual beings. It's unusual for the civilized world, for people to interact and, and I mean, truly intimately interact with spiritual beings, star beings, where in the native world... That happens to us all the time. So that was a very unusual thing for me. So knowing what little or what I knew about the native world, I began to examine the civilized world. And, of course, I had to get into UFOs, spaceships, aliens, lights, etc., and study all those things. And so I thought, well, perhaps. I mean, maybe there is a physical, tangible, technological answer to the UFO question. Now, I have to say I'm, I'm, I'm the most fortunate man that I know. I have been able to dance on the Great Pyramid. I've danced on the Temple of Quetzalcoatl. I've danced in Australia and Africa. I've, I've been very fortunate to interact with elders. At the same time, there is an appeal that a Native American has, a Native American warrior, a dancer, that I was able to speak to people who worked in very sophisticated institutions and agencies of the United States and other governments. And so, for example, someone who worked with NASA, JPL, or, or another private organization, they were willing to talk behind the scenes. I was Native American. They were interested in what I was saying. I certainly was interested in what they were saying. And so I found that by studying the technology, by getting in deeper and deeper, what I can say is I am absolute, absolutely persuaded, and I have the greatest of respect, and I've, I've met several of the researchers who are involved in present-day investigation of UFOs and government programs and the government cover-up, and I have the greatest deal of respect. But in my own personal journey in investigating the very, very same subject matter, I have found that I've had to... I've had to defend myself in a court of law at a cost 
that was horrendous. And in September, it came to a head. You're saying this literally? Yes, sir. And it came to a point where I was either going to not be able to talk about anything in regards to star beings and mythology and religions and those kind of things, or I would have to... I would have to agree to certain terms. I can speak about these things. I cannot speak about those things. And so, using legalese, I would say there was a settlement. And so, I, I say with the greatest and the deepest of respect that those individuals who are spending their time pursuing the physical, tangible technology of UFOs, that I appreciate the passion with which they pursue the subject. But I will say that, I'm going to catch my words carefully, what I will say is that the solution to the presence of star beings will not be discovered by those who pursue technology, UFOs, physical, tangible, the science behind. That's not going to happen. Now, I, I will simply leave it as by saying, you know what, Let, let's just say that's my opinion. The history of UFOs obviously did not begin in the 1940s, it didn't begin in the 50s. Certainly those people who, and your listeners included, who have studied UFOs and the presence of star beings know that it reaches way back into our history. It reaches back into biblical times. Mesopotamian, Sumerian, the most ancient civilizations, at some point record interaction, contact between beings not of this earth. And those people who made contact way back when, they did not use technology. They had no sophisticated communication equipment, lasers, satellites. They didn't. This was a one-on-one -on -one contact. For example, Moses, who makes contact with the divine being. There was no technology, no sophistication. It was Moses going to the right place in the right time, with the right circumstances, and contact was made. Several writers in ancient history said when they made contact, there was a chariot in the skies, Ezekiel and his machinery. The Norse talked about the Valkyries who rode in on horseback. The Greeks talked about gods, divine beings who came in on clouds. In each culture and in each era, contact with space beings, with star beings, with divine beings, they described it in terms of the technology that they knew. Chariots, horses, boats. And so what, what I was doing was trying to find out, number one, how did they make contact? Why was contact made? And I ended up having to go further and further back into history. And so I had a choice not long ago, a little less than a year ago. I could continue to pursue ancient history, ancient civilizations, ancient languages, 
their contact with non-earthly beings or spirit beings or divine beings. And I could discuss that, and then I would have to leave present-day investigation, leave it alone. And I had a choice. What I can speak about revolves around ancient history. Those individuals who are out there now investigating present-day UFOs, the science, the technology, etc., I wish them the best, but would ask that they be extraordinarily careful. That's all. Just be careful. So I had a choice. At first, I thought, well, you know what? Forget it. I, I, I come from a heritage, a culture where we never believed that civilized people would understand us anyway. And so in the beginning, I spoke with my family, relatives, those people, the elders that I had made contact with. And we said, you know what? Let's, let's just pass. We won't discuss it until after 2012. But then I have to say that members of my family, and, and uh, in particular one elder, stepped forward and said, Basically what I just repeated, the solution to star beings, contact, ancient religions, and our hidden histories are going to be found in the ancient past. You're not going to find them today in, with modern-day science and modern-day technology. It's not going to happen. In fact, I, I, I'm sure that you've seen on my website, and I've spoken so many times before and said that our best minds, our scientists, our astrophysicists, those astronomers who peer out into the universe, they freely admit that what they can see is only 4% of the universe. 96% of the universe is comprised of dark matter and dark energy. And even the 4% that we can perceive, that they can perceive, they cannot explain. And so I, I, will, I, will, <laughs> I apologize to your listeners who believe in technology and science, but I promise you that science and that technology is firmly based totally and completely on only 4% of the universe. Whereas ancient shamanism, ancient studies and disciplines that, that talk about the other world, they address the 96%. And so when the elder stepped forward and said the answer, the solution is in that 96% that you talk about, I said, okay, you know what? I, I will begin to speak out again. I agreed to a settlement. I agreed to arrangements. I was able to begin to post material on our website again. And I find myself fortunate enough to be in your presence once again. Well, we are the fortunate ones here, Robert. But in everybody's mind, we're wondering, this is a legal case. I don't know if you can talk about it. What kind of legal case and who was prosecuting for what reason? You were obviously the defendant of something. Our curiosity is killing us here. Who brought this case forward? Okay. The, the, the best I can do is talk in, in hypotheticals. I mean, there are cases out there today where there are people who have been prosecuted And again, like, this is a hypothetical, but suppose you touched on a subject that endangered national security. I am sure you have had speakers galore who speak about national security, the Patriot Act, uh, Guantanamo, and, and the different things that are going on. There are some things that you simply cannot talk about, and if you do or you try, you're lucky if all that happens is you have a legal suit against uh, uh, 
put against you. You're lucky if you're not imprisoned or you simply retire from existence altogether. Now, again, I am not saying that is what occurred to me. I cannot say that. What I can say is that there are subjects that you cannot talk about. There are courts that are not part of the public domain in which it isn't that they have to prove that you're guilty. You have to prove you're innocent. Okay? And so... Um, so this is outside of our legal system is what you're implying. I, I am going to suggest that there are courts where the rules are reversed and you won't read anything about them on you know, in, in the newspapers and you won't hear anything about them in CNN. I, do, I, I am sure that your listeners, and I'm sure that you too realize with all the people that you've spoken to and all the books that are out there and you know, and I know, that there is stuff going on out there that we don't know about. There is stuff below the surface, below what we can see. And whether we like it or not, we have to, we are, sub, <coughs> pardon me, <coughs> we're subject to it. <coughs> pardon me, I'm going to get a drink here. Sure. Grab some water if you'd like. So, <coughs> I have agreed with, <clears throat> I have agreed with the powers that be that I would restrict my studies, my efforts, and what we speak about on our website with you and with others to the ancient, uh, ancient people, ancient histories, ancient disciplines. And, and it actually is better for me in the sense that I am free now to pursue subjects which are extremely controversial, but that would not endanger individuals who think national security, uh, stealth programs, and those kind of things are endangered by anything I might say. I mean, let's think about it here. For example, the UFO community has forever and a day, in, in, in the last four years at least, said that there is a conspiracy to keep the UFO, uh, whatever that is, to keep it a secret. There's a conspiracy. Okay, let us assume that there is a conspiracy to keep it silent. First of all, why? Is it because there is extraterrestrial contact? Or is it because the UFO craft are stealth craft? They are things that Earth production manufacturers that, that research groups have put together. I'm sure you remember the story about uh, the, the SR-71. When bids were put out by the Air Force on the SR-71, they didn't know that the CIA had already created through uh, the Area 51, what's his name, uh, Skunk Works. Right. They had, Lockheed. Right. They didn't know. Basically, agencies keep things from other agencies within their own nation, within our own country, with from other groups. And there are private research groups that are out there as well, working on their own. If there's a conspiracy, is it because there's UFOs from other worlds, or is it because there's UFOs from this world that need to be covered up? Secondly, if there is a UFO conspiracy designed to keep the secret, designed to keep the public away, one of the best ways to keep something secret is you infiltrate the group that's trying to find out what the truth is. And so I will suggest that the UFO community, if there is a conspiracy, 
the UFO community has been in, infiltrated. Some of the finest speakers, some of the best speakers, may very well be part of the conspiracy. If they're not, they may be being fed information which is designed to be disinformation, misinformation, or to take someone to a, a place that it, it, it doesn't affect the U.S. government, the American government, the global government, the secret government, it doesn't affect them. So I'm sure, and again, with the greatest of respect, because I know there are people that are out there that are doing the work, they're doing the research, they're doing the legwork, they're presenting as best as they can the material that they find. I appreciate that. I really do. However, why haven't we gotten new information? Why in 40 or 50 years is it the same thing over and over and over again? You know, I apologize to those speakers who address these topics because it isn't that I don't believe them. It's that nothing is happening with the research. No new activity, to the best of my knowledge, and perhaps I'm wrong, I would love to be wrong, but you hear the same stories over and over, mysterious lights, mysterious craft, the government... Recycled. Exactly. And so what I did was I said, okay, let me pursue the 96%. And I, I, I'm extremely fortunate. I had a gentleman, as you know, I've, I've traveled the globe, and I, I get to travel in places where, I mean, we really have been stopped in many cases by groups that say, well, you can't come in here, you can't come there. On the other hand, I've spoken with elders, they've taken me into places that the public will never see. And so on one of my journeys, not not that long ago, that's as best as I can uh, or will identify it, I met a gentleman who stepped forward. I've, I've identified him and, and called him El Vastago. And this gentleman said, okay, let me share some things with you. And to be honest, he tested me. And, and I welcomed it. I, when I was growing up as a child, we had all kinds of tests that we had to pass uh, to be a warrior, to to achieve certain status in certain societies, the dreamer society, the storyteller society, the warrior society. When I was a child, I had to, uh, my, my grandfather put me on a horse at daybreak and said I had to ride until through all night, through the next dawn, and could not again get off the horse and sleep until the following evening. In other words, 24 hours plus on horseback. It was, you know, the, the things that I went through as a child would probably qualify as child abuse today. Sure. These are the things that we had to go through. We had to be tested. And so I had no problem when this gentleman tested me. There were physical tests. There were uh, mental acuity. I mean, were you clever? Could you figure out this puzzle, what he was saying? And there was also, there were spiritual tests. I mean, why are you doing this? And can you do this for the right reason? And I have to say that I, I, I have been, what I would say is that I was very fortunate. I've been in the presence and watched, for example, I watched uh, a gentleman who was sitting sideways on a wall. I mean, if you look at if you go around the corner and the wall, he's sitting sideways on the wall. Was that have, Don Genaro? Yes, Don Genaro, Don Genaro. I have yeah. seen gentlemen standing in a fire and not get consumed. I've seen 
a man who has manifested lights in front of me. And I'm talking not just me, but several individuals from different perspectives. I've seen these things. I've been very fortunate. I'm sure that you, you've probably heard of the numerous studies of, of shamans in Siberia in particular, even some Native American shamans who do things that are impossible. Impossible only because they do things, they can connect with the 96% and they do things. Well, this gentleman was able to do things that just, my, you know, I, I'm, I'm astonished. How can you do that? Uh, again, not, I didn't believe it. What I wanted to know is, how did you do that? And so, over a period of time, he began to give me some, what would I want to say, some leads. Look at this language. Look at this piece. Look at here. And then he would give me some time to try to figure out, to decipher what he was trying to tell me. And so, over a period of time, and I, I'm, a, I'm a student of ancient languages. I love the way words work. I love the way things come together. I was able to put together a story. And I said, look, here's what I think happened. And he was so generous. He was so kind. He asked me a question that I've asked forever of my elders and, then, and those people who I would call a shaman. He turned to me and he looked at me and he said, how did you do that? And for the first time I felt I've achieved a place where now someone asks me, how did you do that? And it is a result of travels across the globe, visiting with elders, dancing on the pyramid, dancing in ruins, climbing into the middle of volcanoes, up on the highest peaks. I'm extraordinarily fortunate. What is it that you did that surprised them? Um, what I, okay. Ultimately, the, the, there were some pieces that what surprised him, the pieces were, I said, you know what? It all began in ancient Siberia. He had asked me about the tarot papers that somebody had written back in the 60s, and he asked me about the tarot papers. And I knew because he was asking, I must have made a mistake. There was something wrong. Well, I had the good fortune to be able to make a connection um, with this gentleman, uh, with another gentleman who had studied Mongolian languages from ancient Siberia. And I started to look at my own tarot papers, and I found something out. I, it, it was remarkable. It was eye-opening. The tarot papers that I had constructed in the 1960s, in the, in the mid-60s, was based upon the material, the archaeological evidence, the linguistics available to me at that time. Now, 40-plus years later, 50 years later, guess what? I have found an older language. I am able to place the tarot papers. The story, the essence is correct of what I had written so long ago. But the background wasn't old enough. Now, let me say that I have the greatest of respect for one gentleman in particular, Mr. Zachariah Sitchin who authored The Twelfth Planet. I believe he was on your program at one point. He's That's written, correct. Yeah. He's written several books, and there are other uh, researchers, archaeologists, who, like Dr. Kramer and others, who put essentially our civilization, the beginning of it in ancient Sumeria, and Sumer back around four, between three and 4,000 B.C. 
I have the greatest respect for him, but you know what? It's not old enough. And so I have begun to take the pieces that came from ancient Mongolia in that proto-language, the proto-Indo-European, and I can take, again, with the greatest respect, my story in the Terra Papers, the story in the Twelfth Planet, I can take it even further back. And I, I've been extremely fortunate. I now have a couple of private research groups who I've begun to work with, and uh, we're unlocking even more things that take us back into ancient Mongolia. I mean, we're talking about going back 20,000 B.C., 25,000 B.C. I've actually approached different individuals who have spoken out, for example, on ancient Samaria. They've talked about ancient religions. They've talked about uh, Druid, uh, the Druid people, the Celtic people. I've even approached some people in Wicca and some of the other groups that believe, you know, they were rooted in ancient uh, principles, ancient disciplines. And I've approached them. I've sent the material. And I said, okay, uh, for example, uh, Wicca, which is now called witchcraft really has some roots that can reach back beyond ancient Samaria into Mongolia. Their roots are ancient shamanism, and I don't believe there's a scholar anywhere on the globe that doesn't say shamanism didn't begin somewhere in ancient Siberia. Well, again, just as an example, Wicca is really close to the world's ancient religion, to the world's oldest practice of shamanism. I approached major speakers and said, look, you know, you're on the right track. Can we work together? Can you help me? Here's the material. I received no response. Not only no response, I've been critiqued, I've been criticized, said no way. The problem is that Wicca, again, as an example, says it was born in perhaps the 12th century, the 13th century. Uh, The Kabbalah was born in the Middle Ages as well. Uh, Some of the older religions, um, perhaps 1000 A.D., and and one of the major religions in the year zero, they say, nope, this is where it begins, this is it, we don't want to go any further back, it just can't happen. And so, the civilized world in general, people have adopted a way of life, a way of thinking, a belief system that is locked into a period of time, and they don't want to go further back. Now, I understand that, for example, I mean, if you believe that something happened in 1200 AD, and your entire life is built on the belief system that occurred then, or it's, it's, it's founded, it's based upon what occurred 2,000 years ago in biblical times, you don't want, I mean, if you spent your whole life believing in that, and your principles and everything that, that, that is your life is based on that book, And someone comes along and says, you know what? There's one much older. There's a religion that's older. There's a discipline that's older. You're not going to surrender that, uh, you know, very easily. In fact, you're going to fight against it. Well, to take, for example, take, for example, I don't mean to interrupt you, but take, for example, in a macrocosm segment of our conversation, Sahih Hawass, Egypt, Dr. Sahih Hawass. If anybody challenges, you know him, if anybody challenges him and says, you know, I don't think the Egyptians built those pyramids, he doesn't like that. So the same could apply to other civilizations where they want to take credit for what they 
supposedly did, when in reality, it could be more ancient than they even believe. Oh, you're absolutely correct. You're absolutely correct. I had to deal with Dr. Hawass when, when I went to, to dance on the top of the Great Pyramid. It took me two years to persuade him that I, what I wanted to do was an honoring. Now, unfortunately, in the beginning, there were some sponsors who wanted to put together a conference in Egypt, and they wanted to talk about extraterrestrials in Egypt. They wanted to talk about ancient religions and that, and they invited me to speak. And to be real honest, I said, no, I am not going to go into the homeland of the Egyptians. I'm not going to go. And the conference was held in, um, in a home that was, I mean, literally just a couple hundred yards away from the Sphinx and the Great Pyramid. And I refused. I said, I will not go into their homeland. I will not tell them how their pyramids were built. I will not tell them. I simply want to honor those individuals from the pharaohs to the man with the whip to the slaves that built, pardon me, destruction. And I refused. And boy, <clears throat> did I get in trouble with the conference people. But you're right. I mean, I had to, I had to assure Dr. Hawass that I was not challenging him, Egyptology in general, or the Egyptian people. I was not going to take away their heritage and what they believed was correct. Right. That is the only way that I got to dance on the Great Pyramid. And so what you're saying is, you know, it's, it's absolutely correct. They have found a little niche. This is their belief system, and you can't challenge it. And I find the same thing even today. I mean, if I, 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 I tried to address some of the speakers that have been on the circuit that are, you know, very, very well known, that are very popular, and I say, look, you know, you're right, you've got the foundation, but look, I can show you something older. They don't want to hear it. So, <clears throat> I... Why don't they want to hear it? It, it? it goes against their their ego, their national pride, heritage. What is it? Well... I recently had a conversation with a woman who wanted to sell me her idea of a conference and what star beans were about and all that. And, and she was arguing that the government is hiding UFOs and what they really know and that uh, there should be disclosure. We should press for disclosure. And here's what I would say. If the, US, if the U.S. government really wanted to hide UFOs and what they knew about it, they would, shut, they would have the FCC shut down every program on radio, on television, on satellite that even came close to addressing UFOs and what they really knew. But to be honest with you, the UFO, that whole phenomenon, it's a little cottage industry. I mean, how many books are written on UFOs and star beings and, and contact and abductions and all that? Why, if the government is trying to hide it, why would they allow printers to put these books out? Why would they allow television programs to come out? They're doing it, one, because they're not afraid of what information is coming out. Two reasons. One, most of the information is inaccurate. Two, what are you going to do about it? Let me give you an example. I, I had a private research group that I addressed here not long ago. The home that you live on, your listeners as well, the home that you live, that, that you live in, suppose somebody came in and they said, you know what? 
you've got a problem. You've got termites. And the termites are going to eat up all the wood and they're going to destroy your, your uh, walls and they're going to destroy your furniture and these termites. And they're telling you all the problems that are in your home. And you have another gentleman who comes in and says, you know, you've got problems with your plumbing. Your pipes are going to burst. Your hot water heater is going to overflow. You're not going to have clean water. The water is polluted. Another problem. Another person comes in and they address your air conditioning system. They address your roof, your carpeting, your flooring. Other people come in and they tell you, you know, outside, oh, you've got all kinds of infestation, bugs, insects, snakes. You've got all kinds of bears, wildcats. Who knows? Catastrophobia. The point is, and you're right, the point is, this is our home. And we have all of these people who are telling us, here's a problem. There is a conspiracy. There is a UFO question. There is there is bad food. There's pollution. The banks, the, uh, I mean, you name it. I mean, the, the, the thing is, you can point out all kinds of problems about our home. I'm saying... It's not enough to know. We need to do something about it. And so I listen. I, I Actually, to be honest, I don't listen very often. I catch little bits and pieces or someone will call or someone will send me an email. And I listen to maybe something that is considered to be new. And to be honest, it's, it's not. It's something that I've heard. And I'm sure that you've probably heard it more often than I have. There are problems. How do we solve them? I believe that the answer lies in the 96%. Normally when you hear scientists, astrophysicists talk about this 96% dark matter and dark energy, they leave you with the impression that it's out there, that it's in the universe. What they neglect to mention is that it's also right here. It's in your home and it's in you. You, what you see is 4% of the real you. There's a 96% that is not visible, it's not tangible, they can't explain it. Spiritual people, religious people, people of different disciplines call it the soul, they call it consciousness, they have all different kinds of names for it. But the point is, each one of us is 96% unknown dark matter and dark energy. And ancient shamanism and those related disciplines are saying, If you really want to make contact with star beings, if you really want to see what's in the other world, you focus on that 96%. Now, technology is wonderful. I mean, without it, there'd be so many things. I mean, there's so many advantages. But the problem with technology is that we have now become dependent on technology to solve our problems, to find our food, to make communications we have forgotten how to connect with that 96% that's inside of us. And so what I've chosen to do is to remain focused on and go after that 96%. There are so many more people that are more knowledgeable, that have better skills and know more about technology than I do. I have tried to pursue it (laughs) to no good ends, and so I'm focusing on the 96%. And so when you have speakers that address shamanism, magic, spirituality, other world, contact, and those things, those are the things to me that make more sense because we're touching on that 96% unknown. 
And when I go out, I just got back from, from another journey. When I go out, it isn't enough that I read what the Egyptians did when they wanted to make contact or what the Siberian shamans did or what Native Americans did. It's not enough. I have to go and test it. I have to do it for the right reasons, in the right place, with the right heart. And if you look at our website, I mean, you can see dozens of pictures that I can print. There are many that I can't. But what I would do is I would encourage your listeners. And and I, I have to say that if you haven't heard it from your listeners, let me say thank you to you. Because... By bringing these subjects out, people should, you know, entertain the ideas, think about it, and they should challenge your speakers, and they should question what's going on. But I wager that the topics that you bring out cause a lot of people to think, and I would, and my wager is this, I'll bet most of your listeners are going, hey, you know, that's interesting, and that's great, but there's more. There's a lot more than, than we're being told, and they're intelligent, but what do I do? There's more out there. I know it. Some people turn to religion. Some people turn to other disciplines and that. But I, again, I apologize because I, I digress for a moment. Mel, I want to thank you, if you haven't heard it from your listeners, for bringing these topics up, for making people think, and... I especially want to thank you for allowing me to speak. Um, <laughs> there are there are a lot of forums that have been denied to me, and I understand why. Uh, I my topic I, I could not go and speak at a UFO conference. I would be undermining and 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 be totally against what most of the other speakers are saying, and that's not something that you want. I can't go to a Wicca group, a Druid group, a Celtic group, a Goddess group. I can't do that. And so, personally, sir, thank you. Thank you so much well, for being there in the past and for allowing me to speak today. Thank you. And just in a selfish way, let me just confess that when I started this show, Robert and listeners, I did it because I wanted to learn. Everybody knows that I try not to use believe, the word believe, because belief is just intent. I want to know. And that's why I bring people like Robert who have traveled the world, who have connected and are still connecting the dots. You use a quote that I, I replicate all the time with your permission. The truth is hidden behind the reality used to control the masses. It's almost as if we're living in an illusion world. Let's just pick Area 51 as an example. It makes you wonder if reality is what's behind the fence of Area 51 or here. So we have to continue asking questions and challenging. And sometimes I get frustrated when I hear the word disclosure. Disclosure is coming this year. Disclosure is coming next year. And to be honest, I'm not holding my breath anymore. I think we can find answers ourselves. And if anybody has a problem with a certain topic and they believe it's science fiction or they believe it's too hard to believe, well, I'm sorry. My goal here is to uncover the truth. And sometimes truth is stranger than fiction. And when I bring people like Robert Morningsky, who has traveled the world and has found knowledge that sometimes, and I don't know if I can say this, Robert, but some people may take it as going against national security. If you go and see a pyramid and you start looking at certain 
hieroglyphs, and you start looking at the common denominators between Egypt and, and the, in the Temple of Quetzalcoatl in Mexico, and you see the, the similarities, and you thought that these civilizations were totally apart from each other, but then you see that they were not. Maybe Atlantis, maybe Lemuria. Why is it that the powers that be don't want this information out, Robert? Well, you know, I, I absolutely agree. They, number one, they don't want it out. The answer is they don't want it out because then they would be surrendering control. They would basically be saying, oh, <clears throat> I guess we are going to have to tell you about this. And it's not mm-hmm. what we've been saying. It's what we need to do. You, you need to do what we tell you. And secondly, I mean, there are other authors, and, and you're right, there are other authors that are out there that have tied together Lemuria and Atlantis, uh, the Lost Continent of Mu, Churchwood, and, and others. And and I've read all those books, and I've studied those books, and each time the the point of origin got older and older and more ancient. And so, unfortunately, there are disciplines, philosophies, religions, whatever you want to call them, that get locked into a certain period of time and say, this is it. This is all there is. It can't be any older. There can't be, there couldn't have been contact between native peoples back 10,000, 20,000 years ago. And I would say, you know what? You're absolutely wrong. Ultimately, time will, will prove that the ancient ones were a lot wiser, a lot smarter, and they had a lot more contact than present day party lines will permit. And if I can very quickly, because I know we're going to run out of time here, the world in front of us is an illusion. You're absolutely correct. I mean, let's, if you address it from science perspective alone, if you look at your hand, what you're seeing is not real. It's an illusion. Your hand is comprised of atoms, tiny little electrical particles, according to science. In ancient shamanism, in the ancient world, they're called fires. If you could really see yourself in a mirror, you would actually see billions and billions of tiny little lights. You're this large cloud, a mist of tiny little fires. And so what we see in front of us is completely and totally a fabrication of our mind. Our brain interprets data. I've I've posted on our website, I mean, there are something like 100 million bits of information coming from all over your body to the brain. 100 million bits of information every second. And yet, when they conduct studies, uh, they found that on a good day, we actually focus on maybe 40 bits out of 100 million to make our decisions. It's what is called consciousness and awareness. What we see is the product of the brain, and the brain will create images depending on our history, our experience, and what we want to see. If someone sees a light, depending on their history, it's an angel, it's a divine being, it's a UFO, it's a dragon, who knows? So our brain dictates, it interprets for us based on what we want to see or what we have seen in the past. There was a terrific story that I read about some individuals who went into uh, the Far East. They went into the jungles and they found a, a tribe of individuals who had never emerged from the jungle. That's where they lived. 
And the jungle was so dense that the field of vision was maybe, on a good day, 30 feet away, 40 feet away. That's as far as they could see. Well, the, these anthropologists took two of these individuals and said, let's come back, let us show you where we are, let's talk to you, let's record these things. They wanted to study these individuals. They volunteered, they got in the Jeep, they started driving out into the jungle. And once they got in past the jungle in a clearing, there were some water buffalo in the distance. And the two natives began to freak out. They said, wait, wait, how did you do that? How did you make that water buffalo so little? Because their perspective never went beyond 30 or 40 feet of vision. Mm. That was it. And so to them, how could you possibly have made it that small? And so our perspectives, each individual perspective, is what limits our reality. It defines our reality. If your limits of perception cannot go beyond a particular religion, there's no way you can see or understand anything outside of that. And so we need to be able to pursue different perspectives. We need to change things. Um, Not change things, but change the way we perceive things. If we want to change the world, the first step is change your mind. Change your perspective. Allow that these other things are possible. And when science tells it 96% is undefinable, unknowable, what, what couldn't exist out there? What is not possible? Our 4% world imposes limits on us. We say, and the civilized world especially says, this can't be. Yet in the native world, every day of our lives, from the time we are born to our, our, our last days, we live with, we dance with, we embrace divine beings, spirit beings, and star beings, we know they're real. We know they exist. And so as, you know, I, again, there are tremendous advantages to being in the civilized world, but there are different, definite disadvantages. It imposes restrictions. It imposes limitations on us. And so we need to, <clears throat> we need to see other perspectives. And again, my, my apologies for continuing to, to compliment you, but you're the kind of program we need to hear. Thank you. Thank you. And before we take a break, we're going to take a quick, uh, our own one and only intermission so you can recalibrate on your side too. We're going to be talking about 2012. A lot of people hear the news, the fear-mongering, the movie, and they, they feel they're not getting answers as to what may possibly be coming. Could it be man-made? Could it be natural? And this is something you have studied for some time and you want to share with us. And also, you mentioned that when you were told to stop talking, you were given permission to resume talking after 2012. And one last thing, you probably have heard in the news some strange withdrawals of, of material coming out of the under the Sphinx in Egypt. I would like to get your take on that. But first, your website is back, robertmorningsky.com. Is there any other way to get in touch with you, Robert? Um, actually, we have... Uh, well, you know what? That's probably the best way. You can reach me to the uh, our website. It's robertmorningsky at robertmorningsky.com. Uh, that's your that's, email. That's your that's email. email. Correct. And right. that's that's the best way to reach me. I'm I'm fortunate that I continue to be contacted by 
you know, people all over the globe. I'm very, very fortunate. But also, allow me to caution anyone who does try to contact me. I, I'm very often out on my journeys. Again, I'm, I'm putting into practice those things that I'm learning. Um, I'm making the mistakes, but and I'm paying the price, but I am learning, and we're getting closer and closer each time. So best way is, and, and you know, let, let me impose, if they want to get a hold of me, and for some reason they can't, let me invite you to talk to Mel. He and I have spent some private time together, and, and I would consider him a friend. So if you have some difficulty, my apologies, sir, but uh, let them uh, they can contact you, and then you can contact me. I appreciate that. Thank you, sir. Absolutely, and it's an honor to, to know Robert Morningsky. Folks, don't go anywhere. So much more to talk about with Robert Morningsky. Sometimes we'll look at the media. Sometimes we'll look at the researchers. But sometimes we have to look at the ancient ones. Where the knowledge is, don't go anywhere. This is Mel Fabregas, and you're listening to Veritas. Thank you very much for listening. We're going to talk more with our special guest in our members section. Head on over to our website, veritasshow.com, click on subscribe, and join us in the members area to tune in to the second part of this great show. We'll take a short break, listen to some music, and we'll be right back with more.
This is Robert Morningstar, and you're listening to The Veritas Show.